and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Be before me. <laughs> See, I love when you do that, because then I just get extra audio bits to use whenever we accidentally swear on podcasts. It's fantastic. I love these clips. So anyway, today we are going to be talking about a couple topics, uh, more speculation, and we're going to be returning to a little bit of what we talked about last week with the Nathrazim, since there is some more information about the Enemy Infiltration book. Uh, but first, I think we're going to have to talk about the latest Afterlives, uh, and this one took place in Ardenweld. And if we have time afterwards, we will get to some of your questions. Uh, so, you know, we thank you for sending those in. But yeah, we got it. We got a bunch of stuff to talk about. So would you like to recap Afterlives, uh, or would you like me to? Uh, desperately wanted to do a joke recap there, but uh, I'll let you recap. <laughs> okay, so again, mild spoilers uh, for anybody who doesn't want to know. We understand. Uh, check back later on in the episode. I'll try to make a marker if I can. Listen to the history of the river if you don't want spoilers, because it's a show called Lore Watch. We talk about stuff. <laughs> I have no, to. No, I have no to be. I have to be. I have to be polite, though. I have to give people the no, option. I'm, I'm just. <laughs> I'm just saying, guys. If you don't want to know spoilers, I, I don't know why you're here. That's kind of what we do. So the Ardenweld Afterlives animated short actually starts before the Shadowlands. It actually starts back in Legion, and it starts in the Emerald Nightmare. It starts with Ursok being defeated, and. It is the moment where Ursoc's down, you have uh, Malfurion going over to him and, you know, kind of trying to, to console him in his pain, and as he passes from this world into the great forest beyond uh, for a slumber for a time. And this is something we've been talking about for a while, which is, where do the wild gods go when they die? Well, it's Ardenweld, and we know it's Ardenweld, and this is further confirmation of that. And this is something that they've done before. Ursoc understands this. And so Ursoc passes from this world uh, into the Shadowlands, into Ardenweld, where he takes residence into, uh, I forgot what they're called, the like dream pods or anima pods? Wild Seed. Wild Seed, thank you. Uh where he is in one of the groves being tended to by one of the NPCs that we will be interacting with. Uh, it is a satyr-like creature, a fawn. I, I can't remember what their actual names are, uh, but he is the grove tender. And His name so, is Aralon. Thank you. Uh, so Aralon goes and, and is taking care of him, starts to feed the seeds the, the animal that they need in order to survive and rest and recover and recoup. And then the anima drought happens. And we know that this has been happening. Uh, but in this moment, everything is starting to go sideways and it's the land is starting to desiccate. You can, there's the scenes of the shifting anima pods being bare, less fruit on the trees for him to actually use. And so Erlon at this point is actually, I believe giving of himself somewhat uh, to Ursoc's pod. And then a whole bunch of other folks show up to take the grove. And Erlon, who has taken his oath seriously, attacks his own friends, people of his own, uh, you know, tr I guess tribe or, or people, I guess would be the best way to put it, until the queen shows up. And this is the, the, the winter queen shows up and says, hey, you know, she doesn't actually say anything, but it's like, we're, this has to happen, you know, and the people that he's attacked are saying, we're not your enemy. The things are bad all over. We're just doing what we're told. We're doing what we need to, to survive because in order to survive, there must be sacrifice. Uh, and Erlon's like, no, this is my grove. I swore an oath. I'm going to protect it. No matter what happens. Queen shows up. He looks at her. He has this moment of realization of exactly how bad it's gotten. And then the queen does something that is, I think really kind of cool and sets up this character really well for Shadowlands. She gives him the choice and she says this grove or this life for the rest of Ardenweld, I will respect your choice. And he does the one thing that I think everybody knew was going to happen after, as soon as we saw Ursoc at the beginning, he takes all of the anima from Ursoc's wild seed into his staff and closes his grove. 
that was a very powerful setup for the for the realm for that particular zone because that's what's happening that's what you are thrust into the middle of when you get there as a player character and it's interesting to see what happened to his grove because when you interact with him he says you know i wasn't always a wild hunt a member of the wild hunt i wasn't always doing this i had a grove once my grove is now gone uh, and there's this thing, oh, was it happening because of these invaders? And he's like, no, it happened because the world is just basically going sideways. Uh, but it was this really interesting framework to set that up. And the fact that it dealt with Ursoc uh, and what happened with him, uh, people are very divided about how they feel about that. I'm in the camp of why they did Ursoc dirty like that. But it, it was a very interesting setup. What did you think about it? Um, <clears throat> I think the... The implications are a lot bigger than people realize in that, you know, yes, Ursoc is likely dead for good, but this was just one grove. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of groves that are all going through this all over the place in Ardenweald. And there's how many are permanently dead. They're, they're gone. The cycle is broken. There's a cycle of birth, death, rebirth that Ardenweald is all about, and Ardenweald is the one getting hit hardest. The the cycle of rebirth, souls being returned to the world of living in some form, whether it's the, you know, Ursoc coming back as an ancient, or just some other spirit, you know, getting a new life, they're not, it's not happening. They're, they're not returning. So it's not just that people can't, aren't going to Ardenweald, it's not just that the anima is cut off, it's that the consequences are already in play. Yeah, there are, and we don't know how bad it's going to get. I mean, this is a—it's not just Azeroth here. You know, there's—we see in Ardenweald, we're told that the, there are spirits there from all over the—you know—the universe, from other worlds. There's there's a spirit who is one of the first. Um, I want to say Dark Warrior because I can't remember the the name for the what Taronda is now. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, the, um, night warrior, night warrior. Night warrior. Yeah, yeah. It's the first night warrior that we, that we know of, uh, is found in Ardenweald and he comes from a different world mm -hmm. and you know, his life is a different life. And so that world, the, the rebirths are not happening there. They're not happening on every world that Ardenweald touches when, a, which appears to be quite a few of them. Uh, and this is something that's already been in play for years. So every time you're like, hey, how come so-and-so didn't come back? How come so-and-so didn't show up? It could be because they're dead forever, and we don't know. Like, if any of the ancients fall right now, they're not coming back. The Loa from last expansion, there's several of yeah. them that have died. They might, they might not be coming back. They and, might. And that's know? the other and thing. We, that, we, oh, sorry, real quick, just, just to point out as well, like, the other side is linked to Ardenweld. Like, that is the zone in which, like, you go to that dungeon. That's where that pocket reality branches from nowhere else. Uh, so, like, there's definitely a distinct interaction there, which makes a lot of sense with what we know about the Loa as well. Uh, so there's implications there, like huge ones as well. Yeah, it's quite possible that the reason that, you know, Razan died and there is no return for Razan isn't because Bon Samdi did anything to him but because there's no returning for any of them. Like they get to the, they get to Ardenweald and their spirits go into the groves and then they're taken because they can't do anything else in order to keep all of Ardenweald going. They're sacrificing groves, which means they're sacrificing spirits that were supposed to be reborn. They're, those spirits are instead being drawn out of their wild seeds and they're used as anima. So they're gone. And we don't know how many, we don't know how deep this goes, but we know it's it's already happening. Like, even if we get in there, even if we manage to save Ardenweald, even if we manage to find Anima for them and keep it going, it's too late for a great many. It's, it's over. They're already gone. Now, there is the possibility, because one of the things that is commented on Ardenweald is that things can transform and memories remain. There's a discussion between another bear entity... Uh, or an entity that has decided to take on the form of a, a celestial bear uh, and our wonderful Ysera, who talk about 
you know, I still have my memories. I still, I'm not what I once was. I was reborn and all this other stuff. It is entirely possible that depending on how the anima is being spent or preserved, because this is another thing that happens in Ardenweld, that there might be transformation at some point, but we don't know. It could be as dire as these will never come back. It could be something where, you know, they're reborn, but they can't go back to, they can never go back to their world. Like, if Ursok is salvaged, I guess I'll say, uh, and whatever is born from his anima has some of his memories, because Ardenwell doesn't make you forget your past like Bastion does. Um, as a matter of fact, they encourage you to remember it. They relive, they celebrate your life and choices. That's one of the first things you do when you go there, when you choose it as your covenant, is you put on a play showing all of the wonderful things you've done. And when you do that and you listen to the audience, there are pop-ups. And I encourage, like, if you when you play through this area, if you choose this as your covenant, put on speech bubbles because it's really easy to miss some of these stuff or some of these things. But there are statements that they make, like, I remember doing something like this. And, and obviously I'm paraphrasing. But there's this potential that it might not be super dire if we fix things as far as that goes but it, in one way or another it won't be the same it won't be something where they could potentially go back to where they they were their world is now here or something completely different and i find that fascinating as well because yes the cycle is broken and even if we do manage to put things back together once the cycle is starting to roll again if there is rebirth, what does that mean? What does that mean for all of those those souls, all of that animal that was harvested from all of those groves to keep the other ones going? And it's also interesting because while you're playing through Ardenweld, one of the other things that is, is very abundantly cleared is that it's not just the seeds and the plants that are starting to wither and decay. The entire ecosystem is starting to break down. Uh, there are places you go through, like the dungeon itself, uh, I can't remember the name of it, uh, but you wind up fighting drusts that are starting to try to take over things, but as you're going through the land, it's decaying, it's falling apart. There's an area that used to be like a lush riverbed that is just now floating islands a la Outland. Uh, even the wildlife, because there is wildlife in Ardenweld, because that's, again, part of that, that cycle, part of that ecosystem, is starting to go crazy. It's starting to become starved. It's starting to uh, collapse in on itself. And this is just like, we're talking about like the sacrifice that they made at these groves what about all these other places what does that mean are they abandoning them is that part of the sacrifice as well i i don't know like ardenweld made me feel a certain way as far as the the afterlife short went and i don't want to say it felt made me feel like possessively like protective but out of all of the zones that i've encountered between you know, Bastion, Maldraxxus, Revendreth, and Ardenweld, I feel like Ardenweld was the closest connected to us as far as, like, player characters and closest connected to our world in so many ways that it feels like this happening is starting to... I mean, it's going to have an impact on us, obviously, besides the Wild Gods not coming back, but what else does that mean? What else is going to change? What else is going to happen? Is this going to start affecting the Emerald Dream? Is this going to start affecting, you know, the rest? Is it related of the to Alune? Is it related to Alune? I mean, we know that the the Night Warrior is related directly to Alune, and the first Night Warrior is found in Ardenweald. So yeah, Theranax. <clears throat> yeah, so there's definitely a possible connection there. Uh, obviously, Taranda's story takes her to Ardenweald. We know Ysera's there. Um, there's a lot going on. I I didn't feel possessive or hopeful. I feel like this is real proof that this is all dead. Like, whatever happens, the Jailer has succeeded and has effectively killed everything that we were going to try and save. There is no hope, and nothing we do is going to bring back all the stuff that was destroyed. And I think it's the kind of message you sort of don't often get mm -hmm. in an MMO, that message of, you know, some things can't be fixed. And I think it connects to the whole overarching story of the past couple of expansions that some things are too traumatic to recover from. 
you don't come back from them. You know, you maybe you can change. Maybe people will step in and, and take the place of what's lost to a degree, but the, what is lost is lost. By the way, Arlon's called the Silvar. That's what's the Thank called. you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I definitely got a, a definite a dirge feeling of, you know, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic sort of thing where there, there's only so much you can do. Like you can try, but you're only going to get so far with any of this. So but that's how I felt watching it and, and my experiences in Arnold. And it makes me wonder what the the next step is going to be, because I I didn't get to do the Theranex and Kadaran thing. I've just read about it. Um, and I thought that had some interesting implications as well. If we want to talk about that a little bit, maybe go into that with the whole Night Warrior thing. Um, because one of the things I found interesting there, and I think this plays into the theme here in Ardenweld, uh, and what you're saying about rearranging sort of the, the uh, chairs on the deck on the Titanic. Uh, but when they try to save Theranax, uh, from the power of basically being consumed by the Night Warrior, they tried to siphon some of that out of Karanax into their mate, Kadaren, and found that it cost both of them their lives, and they wound up in Ardenweld, but then they started talking about splitting that power between multiple vessels. Um, and, you know, the Night Warriors of Elun. And it's sort of interesting where it says every every one of them is still destined for here, even though it's like a fraction of what that original uh, power was. And I'm starting to wonder if that's sort of part of that theme there as well, where even though they're pulling the anima and shoving it somewhere else, like you're saying, like, is there just that destined fate? Is there just this is what's going to happen no matter what you do? And I don't know if there's going to be an easy solution. Do we get to the end of Shadowlands and everything has to be rebuilt? Is it something where it can't be jump-started? Because I don't know. I haven't played through Bastion, and this is something that I'll, I'll defer to Rossi on. Uh, I've only done the initial stuff. I, I never did the Covenant stuff or the continuing of the story of it yet. Um, but in, like, in Maldraxxus, there's this very distinct feeling of swimming upstream or trying to you know jump up the waterfall. You're the last house that's left that isn't corrupted or dead. And you are essentially backed into a corner. Yes, you have like the seed of, of knowledge and power, but can you recover from it? You go through the entirety of that zone and it's consumed by your enemies, essentially. And how are you supposed to defend the rest of the Shadowlands, which was the intent of Maldraxxus, if there's nothing left? And e even if you do succeed can you recover from it can you get to the point where you can go back to your original purpose revendreth also feels like that where it's shattered so far from its original purpose that it's a question of even if things get righted even if we save the day can this go back to the way it was or can this fulfill its original purpose well revendreth and also though Revendreth, the problem is that the person that broke it is the person who is not only responsible for it in the first place, but the person who's supposed to be shepherding it. Oh, oh yeah. When the person who's supposed to be in charge and who's supposed to be doing the right thing does nothing but the wrong thing, and you don't see a way to get rid of them, I mean, there is no hope. And there is no hope for Revendreth, and there's no hope for Ardenweald, and there's no hope for Maldraxxus. There's no hope for any of it. Um, that's the thing. The, the Jailer is still out there. And as long as the Jailer is out there and the people who are supposed to be trying to fight him are working with him, there's, there's you know, you're, you're, it's really elegiac, which makes sense because it is an you know, expansion about death. So it makes sense that there would be an elegiac tone to it. Uh, I just, I keep coming back to that idea. I mean, one of the things that keeps coming to mind is the fact that the Night Warrior isn't just somebody that Elune chooses to invest with her power. The Night Warrior is Elune. Mm -hmm. One of Elune's aspects is the Night Warrior. It's the one that basically is essentially like a Valkyr or a Kyrian, in that it chooses, takes it, you know, chooses valiant dead and sets them as you know stars in the sky. 
Now, what does that sound like to you if not a Kyrian? And that's what happens to Ysera when she dies, is Elune comes down and sets her into the night sky. So clearly, I'm just going to say the night warrior chose Ysera. So any argument about Ysera getting to Arnwield and how that relates to the cycle being broken doesn't work because Ysera was directly chosen by Elune. And we know that when the Night Warrior is related, it bypasses everything. Night mm. Warriors end up in Ardenweald. That's where they go. So there's a lot to this we still have to see and, and observe, but it definitely feels to me like we're going to finally figure out what's been going on with Elune for the past three expansions. Like since Legion and into Battle for Azeroth, like Elune has been more mysterious than ever. Mm-hmm. Like, what's Alun's relationship to the Titans? Why was a, the why were the tier why was the tier of Alun one of the pillars of creation? Uh, why did Alun allow what she what she allowed to happen? You know, is it related to Ardenweald? Is it that Alun can't reach out to us? What is Alun? Where is she? Uh, what's her relationship to the Night Queen? I mean, the Winter Queen. Sorry. Um, the Winter Queen is like an obviously powerful being, a member of this pantheon of death that we don't know much about. What's her relationship to beings like Elune? We don't know. How is clearly, Elune able to spread across all of these worlds? Because we very clearly know that not just our world is touched by Elune. We know that we've had encounters where uh, even well, when we I were mean, freeing the pantheon, we went to a planet called Elunaria. Yeah, like, and you you mentioned it, so I'm going to talk about him. Uh, Theonax. Uh, Theonax came from a planet named Fizandi. And that's not a planet we've ever heard of before. Like we only hear about it in Arnwield. Uh, the Arnax and his husband, uh, Kadarian were, were involved in a multi-generational war against an old God that invaded their planet. And we don't know anything about that old God other than the fact that the night warriors power was sufficient to stop it. So the night warrior can beat an old God. Like, you know, it was Kadaran's mother attempted to become the Night Warrior first. The power killed her immediately. Then Theranax went through the ritual and he actually survived long enough to fight the old god and defeat it. And then they tried to save Theranax from being killed by the Night Warrior and that ended up killing both of them. That's, that's all new. Like, that's all stuff we didn't know up until now. We didn't know that the Night Warrior was powerful enough to take out an old god. And now we do. How? What is it? What is Elune? What is his relationship to Ardenweald and the Anima Drought? Uh, why is Ysera there? Why did you know? Why did Elune make sure to get her there? What's her role in all this? Obviously, she's got a role. She's involved in it. But but how? What's going on? There's a ton we still don't know. But I think that that's all stuff that's going to be coming out, and it's very important to the the story of what comes next. I definitely think we're we're seeing like there's I, I don't know if this is too spoilery. Uh, when I you're think doing at this point, the, we're good. Yeah, there's a part where you go into Torgas and you free various night elves who've been put there after mm-hmm. the, the after they died on top of Teldrassil, or during the Horde invasion of of Darkshore, and most of them are just grateful to be out. A few of them are still pretty vengeful and want you know want revenge on the Horde, uh, but mostly it's just relief to be out of. Torghast because you know that nobody wants to go to like permanent hell instead of the land of rebirth and they, they end up there's a discussion about possibly trying to use them to siphon the night warrior like so instead of it just being Taranda it's like a couple thousand people maybe that would be enough to keep it from killing her which is also uh, interesting considering that part of the player creation that we were talking about when you get the customization is night warrior eyes yeah but those are in the game right now I, I understand can, that, but I'm saying like that could be an interesting justification. So I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Please keep going. In fact, possible that one of the things we know is that the army, the the army right now, the one that was being led into Darkshore, there are a lot of them have the Night Warrior stuff, and there's it's it's a whole thing. It might be why Taranda's still around right now. Mm-hmm. Is that she seems to have shared the power with like the entire army of Night Elves, which also might be why they were capable of taking out uh, the horde when the horde had been the one and able to push them in like that. I don't know, but there is a lot to be thought about here. 
Yeah, and and there's going to be some interesting implications, I think, as the story goes on, because I think anything that happens, particularly in any of the zones in Shadowlands, are obviously going to have an effect on on Azeroth. Oh, sorry, it's the Army of the Black Moon. It's the Army of the Black Moon. Sorry, Uh, no worries. Uh, But I think Ardenweld in particular is going to be one of those things that, as that story evolves, I think that's going to have a divine impact on Azeroth and what happens to our land's future. And it's a question of, and I've seen people start talking about this, if there is this inevitability, if the Shadowlands inevitably has to be, you know, started over again, set to zero and and rebuilt, if that's the end game of what has to happen, does that mean the same thing has to happen to Azeroth? Because how many souls have we lost? What's happening to you know, that we haven't even dealt with the fact that she, you know, Azeroth is still wounded. Uh, we haven't dealt with what m- happens with the aftermath of, of Battle for Azeroth yet. Uh, all of those. Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, when you do the, the pre-expansion event, uh, Harold actually says that the Jailer is returning to the world of his exile and is going after the soul of Azeroth. Which, A exiled from from here and what is he going to do with it like what does he want the soul of azeroth for is it just an enormous source of anima for him or does he want it for some other purpose yeah is he going to you know possess it is he going to you know try to love it like you know sargeras wanted to i have no idea what is he what is he exiled from yeah what was he i guess is really the question right so if this was a prison that was created to keep him there what was he? If he was exiled from our plane of existence, was he the remnants of a first one? Was he uh, another Titan that didn't make it? Because uh, we don't know what happened between uh, Amonthul and basically whenever the the next one that was woken up is remembered. Uh, is it, you know, the aftermath of that planet that was split in twain? We have no idea. But it, it, there's some interesting things that could wind up coming out about that. And if his end goal is to come back to our universe, why? What happens? And how long ago did this happen? That's that's the other thing that, like, we have some items from Chronicle that give us, like, a rough idea. But again, unreliable narrator, are those things accurate? Are those things true? We have no idea. Probably but should bring in the Nathrism thing at this point. I was then. just going to say, the, the, next, the next topic we were going to talk about is... Last week we talked about the Infiltration book uh, and it being a reference or possibly to the Nathrazim. Well, the location of where it is found has just been sort of released to everybody. And again, mild spoilers. Uh, I'll let you talk about this one if you want. Uh, Basically, it's the Spire of the Unseen Guest in Revendreth is where the book is found. Uh, And if you go read the article uh, on Wowhead, they basically point out stuff that we already kind of knew. Uh, they, they reference the Ashbringer comic in particular because it's in the Ashbringer comic where Balnazar, while he's possessing Sidon Dathrathan before he kills him and takes over his body, uh, he basically tells him, you know, I'm a, my kind of called Nathrazim, dreadlord in your language, in your tongue, sorry. Uh, perhaps Thal Ketun would be more fitting. It means unseen guest in our language. Now the tower where we find the book that is the report from somebody who's going around infiltrating everything from the Legion to the Holy Light to the Void. The tower is called the Tower of the Unseen Guest. A spire of the Unseen Guest, my apologies. And so that has pretty heavy implications. If the if that's what the Nathrazim word means, you know, if that's their true name, the Thal Ketun, then that means there are the unseen guests. Are they the unseen guests that Denathrius has got a tower? He's got a spire for them in Revendreth, and that's where you find this book. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty messed up. And the interesting thing is, the book we find is just called the preface, right? Like, it's just the first part of what it will likely be uh, an evolving and sort of. Uh, unveiling story as things go on as we go further through uh, probably Revendreth 
likely the whole of the Shadowlands because, again, we still have more to find out about what they did with or how they got up the Helm of Domination, Frostmourne, all that stuff, where it came from, which seems very much like uh, Frostmourne in particular. It seems like it has ties to Maldraxxus uh, as far as the runes go. Uh, the first thing you do when you're in Maldraxxus as part of that covenant is re-energize a rune blade. Uh, you learn more about how that works out. Uh, did they infiltrate there and steal it from there? What is their end goal? Is is it the jailer that they're working for? Or is it something else? Uh, there's a ton of, of questions that this sort of opens up. But I, I'm kind of kicking myself because I accidentally found this spire at one point while going through Revendreth. And I didn't even think anything of it. And the fact that it references the Ashbringer comic book, which we haven't really talked about in forever, that's pretty cool. And I totally forgot that they were called the Unseen Guests until we started talking, seeing this. Um, that's really, really interesting. But again, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Well, the one point that's made in the article is that up till now, Lethraxian has seemed like a perfectly nice guy and we've all you know, bought into him. But they made the point that Balnazar is the one who attacks the Silver uh, Hand and the, the Army Light. I can't, I can't remember the, yeah, I can't remember the Neverlight Temple, Neverlight Temple. It's Balnazar who attacks, and it's Lithraxian who shows up to foil him, which is would be if 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 Lithraxian is working for the you know the Sire Denathrius and or the Jailer, secretly infiltrating the light. This would be the second time Balnazar dying has been used to set up something like that. Like it was Balnazar's death that allowed Varimothras to infiltrate uh, Sylvanas. Basically, she 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 ordered him to kill Balnazar to prove his loyalty to her. He did it, but it was a setup. Balnazar, you, you didn't die. He, in fact, went somewhere else and waited for Satan Dathrothon to, to be on the verge of death. Then he killed him and took over his body. And we've never really thought about how he did that. It's never been a thing that's been brought up. I mean, we, we knew he did it, but nobody ever stopped to say, hey, wait a minute. How could he do that? He didn't possess him and he didn't impersonate him. He killed him and then wore his dead body like a suit. What's up with that? How is that a Nathrism power? And one of the things the Nathrism have been called before is vampiric, which is like Reven it's Venthyr and Revendreth to a T. So yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting things about this. Um one of the things that keeps coming to mind for me is the fact that when we are first told about the Nathrism in Chronicle, they're found by Sargeras at, you know, studying a void planet, you know, basically bathing in void energies and studying a world that's been taken over by the void. And that gets mentioned even, I'm trying to think of you know, exactly how they put it, because I, I don't have the thing in front of me. But they basically mention that the void lords are so preoccupied with their thousand truths that they ignore the lies that, you know, sown in their very midst or something like that. And if that's what the Nathrazim were doing when they met Sargeras, that would be another pretty big tip that it's the Nathrazim we're talking about here. And the book does not actually say, we're the Nathrazim, by the way, but a lot of clues are pointing that way, including the name of the tower. Yeah, and it, it seems to make a whole lot of sense. Like, it it, it would make sense, especially with, like, how Sire Denathrius is working, how, he's, how he may have been working from the very beginning, uh, how he much he looks like the Dreadlords. Uh, you know, maybe he was the template uh, and they were the first ones to come after him. Maybe they were crafted in his image uh, in order to serve their ultimate master. But I mean, it's there's a lot here that now that we're starting to see that they had a, a potential location in Revendreth that further supports that. Uh, you know, there might be other locations because one, one of the things that Revendreth has is it has this area that's bathed uh, completely in, in the light. And the light burns uh, denizens. It, it burns the Venthyr, basically. They're vampires. They don't like sunlight. You know, whatever. And it's easy to laugh that off. But that area is a section of ruins. It is a place that used to be. And it wasn't a small place either. It was... It was like almost another castle. Like when we talk about going to the the, the castle raid and, and um, I can't remember the name of it now, um, 
but when we're Narith, Narthian, uh, something like that. But when we go there, like it's this huge, grand place. It spans multiple levels, and you know it's very imposing. But when you go to the light-touched area, where there is this gigantic lens focusing the light from essentially, I think it's Bastion, uh, down into this area, you're going through the ruins of what was a huge complex. This was a massive, massive like set of spires and. Uh, I keep saying castle, but like a fortress area almost. And even to get to it, you have to go through a secure perimeter to get into it. Uh, it's wonder, it, like it's fascinating to think of what if this was part of that place? I think the spire is not too far from there. Um, I think it's right at the end of the crumbling zone. So what if that was the area where all of these were beforehand, where all of the Dreadlords existed, where all of their stuff was? Because there's Tons of weird alchemy labs all over the place. Uh, there's tons of uh, borderline like dungeons that are located in some of these ruins. I'm curious if that was all part of their plan as well. If maybe to sell the lie, Sire Denathrius expelled them from the Shadowlands. Uh, maybe well, actually, we'll find... hold on though. I was something I want to talk to you about here. All right, go ahead. When, you, when you're doing the various quests one of the things you do is you make contact with denathrius and for a while you're working for him yes and he tells he sends you to after a being called the accuser who is basically kind of like the the prosecutor of revendreth the one that accuses people but he himself is accusing the accuser of betraying him and so she's uh he basically take you take her to a, a place of judgment and there's an, in an exchange between the two of them where Denathrius says, you know, accuser, I gave you a simple task. And instead, you chose rebellion. The accuser says, you ordered me to defile the ancient rituals that define who we are. I will not do that, even for you. Sorry, Denathrius says, a poor decision. You are hereby accused of defying the will of Ravendreth. The accuser says, I accuse you, Denathrius, of failing in your charge. You are the one who defies the will of Ravendreth. Denathrius yells, defy Revendreth? I am Revendreth. Denathrius says, perhaps a few centuries burning in the Ember Ward will remind you of who rules this place. Accuser says, even your punishments reveal your com your complacency. Very well, hide me with your other failures. You were once the Lord of Dread. Now, now you feet your teeth have lost their terror. And he goes, have they now? We shall see. Uh, Fearstalker, prepare your hunters. And that's the end of the quest. It's part of the storyline. But that title... Lord of Dread. You were once the Lord of Dread. I mean, they're the Dread Lords. So, how they, you know, whether he exiled them, whether, you know, I don't know. That's not something we've seen yet. But that, that exchange with the Accuser seems to me to be pretty important in terms of, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, the you know the accuser is one of the members of Denathrius's court, so they was created by Denathrius, as was everything else. Everyone like the original Venthyr that we see were all made by Denathrius. He made them, so it's quite possible he could have also made the Dreadlords. Well, that's interesting you bring that up because we actually see the birth of a Venthyr as you're going through Revendreth. And it's not Sire Denathrius that makes that Venthyr. It's the um, Chamberlain who actually does. And so I'm kind of curious if, that, if that's actually 100% true that he made all of the Venthyr. I think he may have made... No, I didn't say he made all of them. I said he made the original ones. The original ones. But now all the Venthyr that are created are... They seem to be done... There's a ritual, right? There's a... a almost like a trial. Yeah. So, so ancient so, rites that define who we are. So those ancient rites, for those of you that haven't done it yet and haven't seen it, is, and you do this, you go with the accuser in disguise, uh, and this is before everything hits the fan, uh, you show up uh, to witness a trial of one of the souls that is being weighed, uh, and it happens to be a soul that the accuser had shepherded themselves, uh, and said, I know the weight of the soul, you know, it would be a good venthyr, they would, they would do well to be in you know our court 
and you go and it's a bunch of other Venthyr holding the soul in place and one by one they start to condemn it uh, to the maw uh, regardless of all of the the healing or or release of its sin that it did doesn't matter that this is all part of their mechanism this is all part of the failing and the chamberlain is is presiding over this essentially as the judge and when the accuser steps forward and says i know this soul i will vouch for it um you know there's a thing where he goes you would defy the will of of you know revendreth and it's like no i you know, would you defy the will of our our customs essentially our process and so we get to see a Venthyr being born by another Venthyr. It's somebody who uh, the Chamberlain uses their power yeah, but to... It's, in, it's indisputable that the Lord Chamberlain was created by... Oh, you know, that. absolutely, which is why he's so and he's so, absolutely loyal to him as well. And so was Prince uh, Renfrath, the one that rebels. He was also created... He was the first one who was created by Denathrius. Denathrius sired them. That's why they call him Sire. Sire Denathrius, yeah. And that's why, in fact, when the the, the supposedly anathrism document says, you know, this for the task for which you sired us. So it's quite possible that the Dreadlords are a, like, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, an intelligence agency for for Revendreth. Uh, but but possibly they're working directly for the Jailer. That's, that's you know, who, who knows? We can't tell. And I'm sure we will find out as time goes on. Uh, but yeah, it's just some interesting revelations and, and, and interesting things that keep popping up. And it makes me really curious to see what other things we're going to find. Uh, and in particular, it makes me really kind of eager to start digging through uh, Revendreth. And one thing I'm going to ask people out there, uh, you know, to, to take a look for is it looks like some other things might. I wouldn't put it past Blizzard to start putting new items in old places. So if you happen to be going through some of the old order halls or like the Netherlight Temple or anything like that, or any place that Lothraxian frequented, and you happen to see something new pop up, make sure you post about it. Make sure you let us know. Because I would be very interested to see if we start seeing uh, new books, uh, new journals from these, uh, these forces, these hidden enemy infiltration things that start popping up that aren't necessarily restricted to the Shadowlands itself. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for like the big news, unless there's anything else you want to really say about any of those. I mean, there's a lot of things we could say, but... <laughs> well, I think we can spend a couple minutes. We can see if we can answer a couple questions, because we have been sitting on a few for several weeks. Uh, and I guess we'll start with... Uh, we'll go with Tetsemi. Uh, this is a question for the Lore Watch. Probably have to save this for after this week's animated Lore Watch. We did. Haha. Uh, Torghast questline spoiler. When you rescue Thrall from Torghast, he is able, in his desperation to, or determination, to reach out to the elements and once again use Earthen Grasp, a.k.a. the Gary Grabber. Uh, um, I like that. I'm going to steal that. To help you defeat the final boss uh, of the rescue, Thrall level. There are some elementals near the lava pools in the Maw. Is he asking them for help? And if so, does that mean we may be able to ask the elements to help in surviving the Maw? I mean, possibly? One I mean, of the... To a certain degree, I mean, they're going to let you use your shaman powers in the Maw because otherwise you just die? <laughs> yeah. So... But I think it's interesting because one of the things we talked about, especially with Azeroth, is that, you know, this abundance of spirit that was being ingested into the uh, elementals made them a certain way and was keeping Azeroth from being able to grow and nurture, which is part of the whole reason why they wanted to seal them away. Um, no, no, that's not true. OK, uh, go ahead. The way it worked is that because Draenor had an abundance of spirit because it didn't have a titan ah, absorbing yeah, it all. The elementals there were more or less in harmony because they didn't have to fight for for spirit. The fifth element is spirit, remembering, uh, which I think at this point is pretty much the same as anima. Sure, interchangeable. Uh, but but on Azeroth, because there was a titan in the middle of the planet gobbling it all down, the elementals started continuously fighting across the surface of the planet because they were basically fighting for table scraps. They were fighting for what was left after the titan got you know done with its giant dinner of spirit. And as a result, when the uh, old gods showed up, they enslaved the, t the, the 
elemental lords and use the elementals as shock troops. And they, that's why they were put into uh, other dimensions. It wasn't because they were, they, were, yeah. they weren't a threat to the spirit. And if anything, they were desperate for it and couldn't get it. The, the Titan was the nascent Titan was gobbling it all down. It was that which made them get aggressive on Azeroth when they're not aggressive on Draenor. And that's why shamanism on Azeroth has always developed along different lines than shamanism on Draenor. And that's why uh, the Orcish shamanism, oddly enough, is a lot more cooperative than the shamanism that's native. To, like, for instance, you see a lot of shaman culture on Azeroth end up going the dark shaman route. Both the uh, Tonka and the Yongal tend to treat the, the elementals as things to force into your bidding. Uh the only ones that don't are the are the are the uh, Shuhalo, who tend to follow the Earth Mother, and so they kind of use her as an inter intermediary or intercessor between themselves and the elements. Similarly, the trolls shamans are very heavily ancestral oriented. Uh, they they're much more about you know spirits of you know because keep in mind that to the to the trolls, Aloa is just any powerful spirit, and so if it's your grandpa. It's still a it's still a loa because it's still a spirit that you are getting help from. So, in a way, their loa focus meant that they could do it in a different way, a more cooperative way. But look at what happened with goblins when they started embracing shamanism. They immediately made it mercantile, mm -hmm. and that's all of this is to say there are different approaches to shamanism. And it's interesting that the orcish approach was the more the most cooperative, the ones who were most likely to go up to the elementals and go, "How can I help you?" and I wonder sometimes if the elementals of Azeroth were completely freaked out by this. Um, there's a bit in, I think, Lord of the Clans, where Thrall is learning shamanism for the first time, and it's Drek'thar who tells him about spirit and tells him to meditate on it. And that's when he really becomes a shaman, when he reaches out. And so if anybody was going to be able to reach the elements in the Maw, Thrall's a good candidate. Yeah, And I think that's one of the reasons that the elementals turned on him so aggressively when he lashed out against Garrosh is because it was such a violation of their trust. Like they trusted him. They, they took him in after the, the orcs had gone, you know, full fell this, this new orc showed up and he seemed different and they trusted him. And then he went and did that against their will, which was a huge violation of everything that they had established with him. So it would be interesting to see if he manages to reach out to them uh, in the mall. If he, if it's, if it's him reaching out to them and not him compelling them, then that would imply, okay, that they've either they've forgiven him or they're allowing him to try and build a new foundation with them. The other side of that, and what I was going to get at, is the fact that we're in an area of essentially pure spirit. Everything that we touch, everything that we interact with, even in the Maw, is a creation of anima, a creation of spirit. And so if they're more in harmony, potentially, and I'm not saying that's the case, but there are elementals in the Maw, death elementals and, and other things, but they're still creatures of spirit. This might be something with now Thrall being more centered than he has been in a very long time. Uh, and if you look at his interactions, even before he gets sucked into the Maw, it's more about balance, more about am I doing the right thing, more more consideration given to the things, the steps he's taking. Is it that he's just grown into uh, that person that they needed him to be, That the that the elementals were like, this is who we expected him to be. Now he's back to that point of harmony. He's asking, not compelling again. He's, you know, able to reach out and especially being so rich with that spirit and being one of the first orcs in a long time to really embrace that as far as their shamanistic foundation goes. Is that why he can reach out and ask for help? And that's the thing, that's, right? That's he why they chose Ner'zhul. Mm-hmm. Because Go ahead. Go ahead. No, Nerzul can. Nerzul was the elder shaman. Nerzul knew more about shamanism than Thrall's ever going to know about it. Thrall is not worthy to carry Nerzul's jock as a shaman. Let's just flat out say it. Not that Nerzul was a good person, but Nerzul just had more experience. That's why they corrupted him. That's why they convinced him that his dead wife was telling him what to do, because they needed someone who could tap into spirit, and Draenor was a world absolutely teeming with spirit. The spirit on Draenor was so strong that it animated plants and turned them into unholy monsters. It had to, they needed an elemental force to fight it. 
a Titan had to come along and provide that elemental force. And every orc on Draenor is a descendant of that creation. Mm-hmm. And now it and starts it, to get some interesting implications for why he got shoved into the helm. And that whole bit about, you know, I was a shaman once. That Arthas said back in Wrath, that whole little bit about shamanism. Shamanism is all about spirits. And I keep finding myself wondering if this, the assumption you just made is the actual correct one. Because we don't know. The Maw definitely feels like a place that was made to hold things mm-hmm. by somebody. Potentially the first ones. And we keep assuming it was made to hold the jailer. But what if, if instead wasn't. the jailer's... The jailer was just the poor person that got stuck in the center of it. I keep coming back to like this is a different game called Dragon Age. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. One of the things you find out in that game, and yes, spoilers for a game that came out in 2014. So, uh, but you find out that the veil that keeps the realm of spirit and the, the realm of spirits and ghosts and all that from the realm of, of mortals was artificially created by a mortal being. And like, what if the Shadowlands are only a separate realm? or at least the Maw is only a separate realm because it was made. And that's why they need Helia. They need somebody that can, they're trying to create their own Maw Walker. And then you, you create one. They would have actually had to have Helia get killed, Helia get killed because they don't have any way to exit and enter the Maw. Uh, not Denathrius, but the one R- Prince Renthrell even says, even the most powerful Venthyr can't enter and leave the Maw. He, that's why he chooses you to, to work with him because you can go into and come out of the mall and they can't and take, and, and take things out of the mall with you. Yeah. And so think about what that means in terms of the mall itself and why they've gone through such trouble to get Helia and why they drag Sylvanas into all this and why they're doing, you know, the whole point is they need people on the outside and they've got them. If we go back the whole bit with the with the with the uh, dreadlords, the Nathrazim, the whole bit with everything we've seen so far, the whole bit with like you know tapping a shaman to be the lich king to be the servant. There's oh there's a lot to this. Um, I keep thinking back to that idea though. If the maw is created to hold something other than the jailer, and the jailer is literally just the jailer of it, the person who got the unlucky unlucky job of of being assigned to be the jailer, which is why he's called the jailer. Yes, he's not. You know, it's, he's not called the prisoner. Exactly. You know, he's called the jailer, and we we hear that he was exiled. So he was exiled to the maw. Like, was that his penance for something? What did he do? What is you know, if his if he was given this task. Who gave it to him? Who made him the jailer? The arbiter, again, the arbiter. Who appointed you arbiter? Why are you arbiting anything? Why, you know, why are you involved in soul arbitration? Because I guess that's what you're doing. Why? Like, you know, these these are both positions. Like, one's the judge, one's the warden, essentially. Why? And what does that have to do with the maw? What does he need a titan's soul for? Does he need it to replace him? Must there always be a jailer? Like was the Lich King basically just a copy, like a, a a version of the Jailer that existed in our world to to work a, as a a version a of the Jailer that was free to use the shaping of the spirit outside of the confines of the Maw, and knew how to do it because he had the experiences of shaman. And if you look at everything that was created, his creating of the Valkyr, his creating of all of those uh, wonderful Vrykrul, uh oddities i guess i'll call them yeah that he's basically twisting spirit twisting anima to to be something else to be formed into something else because i don't think that's something the jailer can do i don't know if it's something he can do or not um but he certainly can't seem to do it from inside the the maw because nobody seems to be able to get in there out of it until you show up and even he when he sees you go for the gate out of the of the of the maw he's like that thing doesn't work and then you use it and it activates and you get out. And, and interestingly it, enough, I'm wondering like if that has something to do with it as well, because one of the one of the other things that happens is he's torturing these people, right? Like all of these souls. Them. He even says, yeah, like at one point Thrall says that he it's like he was testing us, but I don't know what he what he wanted. He didn't say anything. He didn't tell us but, what he wanted. He just 
He just tested us. But so, the, yeah. inter- the interesting thing about that, though, is like he didn't convert them. He didn't force them into a new form like we've seen other things happen in the past. I mean, we've seen literally the we've seen Arthas do this. We just talked about this several weeks ago with, you know, him ripping Sylvanas out of her body and turning her into the Banshee and forcing her to follow his will. The jailer, interestingly enough, doesn't seem to be capable of doing that. Well, he was capable of infesting Bane with multiple antagonistic spirits. He was capable of putting them inside him. So I don't know if it's that he wasn't capable of it. Uh, quite frankly, I think it's less couldn't and more didn't slash wouldn't. Hmm. Because he's he wants something from them. He's looking for something. He has Anduin. He's got Thrall. He's got Jaina. He's got Bane. And he wants something from them. And he tries to get it. At one point, I think Sylvanas, when you first see her in the mall, when she's she's like giving Anduin grief, she basically even says, you know, this, you know, look forward to the rest of your existence. There's there's this idea that, you know, the jailer wants something and he's going to keep looking for it until he finds it. But we don't know what it is. Yeah, but it doesn't maybe doesn't serve his purpose. Turning them into banshees and so forth or whatever wouldn't serve his purpose. It doesn't get him. It's like life itself has something that he wants. It doesn't open the gate. It doesn't let him get out. It isn't because that's an interesting thing to think about, too. Like, maybe that's why there is no conversion there. It's because he needs somebody to be willing. They need to be alive. He might even have, like, allowed you to free everybody and get to that portal just to see what would happen, to see if any of you can activate it. Yeah. You know? I mean, he doesn't seem to think you can't, but, I mean, if the guy's got Dreadlord servants, he knows how to lie. Well, not only that, uh, if he's got Dreadlords feeding information back to him, he knows all of the stuff we've done, all of the impossible tasks we've completed. We killed a Titan. Something that wasn't supposed to be able to happen. We did that. Uh, we've defied old gods some, and defeated them, regardless of the... the actual efficacy of, of how we how well we did on that we defeated them where we just learned when we were talking about Ardenweld that it took the power of a loon in concentrate to defeat a single old god on another planet and that was enough power to destroy the person and their mate wielding it yet we've defeated how many old gods at this point regardless of of our level of success we've been able to stand toe-to-toe with it we've gone toe-to-toe with the legion we've traveled dimensions we've traveled to different planets we've traveled time itself and corrected streams like we have done things that at this point are usually relegated to cosmic entities beings that are incredibly powerful beyond all reckoning we've done it yes we've had some help sometimes but we're as player characters are still the ones that do it. And here's if- the thing, though. Think about that for a second. Maybe it's the fact that we aren't cosmically powered beings that makes this work. Maybe there right? seems to be like an order to these things, a rule set, for lack of a better word. You're not supposed to do these things. I mean, there's that whole bit in in uh, the Bastion short where they're like, you know, he can't. The mods is is trapped. It can't be, you know, out in the world. And she's like insisting, but I saw it. And they're like, it doesn't matter. It can't be. They can't conceive of doing these things. If something isn't supposed to happen, they won't try to make it happen. And the jailer needs people to try and make things happen that shouldn't happen. Because what the jailer seems to want is some form of escape from the maw, which isn't supposed to happen. And it's like, it's that mindset that the jailer seems to be tapping into, trying to, trying to, Trying to get somebody who isn't a titan or an old god or a first one, that's exactly what he needs. I mean, I don't know, but that seems to be something that, to consider. Yeah, and I think there's I think there's something to it. I think there's something to... I mean, essentially, the Jailer's playing fourth dimensional chess here, I think. And he, he's gaining information and figuring out his next move. And we have no idea what his game plan is yet. And I still we, also I'm going to be upfront. That Nathrazim book, if it is a Nathrazim book, there's nothing in it that says that they're not doing the exact same thing to death that they're doing to everybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they might just is just as much be infiltrating 
the forces of death, Denathrius, the jailer, and all of that, as they are everything else. Um, they might just be their nature, is to be dece deceitful and manipulative and constantly, you know, elbows deep in everybody's business. So that's also worth keeping in mind. I think it's needless to say that things are just starting to get interesting already. Uh, and we're, I, we're barely scratching the surface. Like, we're, we're seeing the tip of the iceberg here. And there's going to be so much more that's going to get unveiled. And so many more rabbit holes to go down. And it all sort of ties together. And I have a sneaking suspicion that we're going to start to get pieces for puzzles that have been laid long, long ago. Uh, that we still haven't quite 100% figured out yet we're going to start to see the sort of that picture. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, again, if you have questions for the podcast, be sure to send them in. Um, we will absolutely be more than happy to, to take them into the consideration and talk about them whenever we don't have big news items like this to speculate on. Uh, and you can send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or into our discord channel. Uh, we do have one for patron and patron supporters, and we do have one for just regular Q questions. Feel free to throw them in there. We will always give our patrons preference. Also, uh, we know that times are tough out there for everybody. Uh, we, Appreciate that. We live that life, too. But if you're listening to us and you enjoy the content we produce, uh, whether it's this, the Blizzard Watch podcast, uh, whether it's the monthly D&D games that we do or the wonderful content that we provide at BlizzardWatch.com, please consider going to BlizzardWatch, uh, the Patreon.com slash BlizzardWatch and maybe signing up for that $3 tier. You get early access to our podcasts uh, when they're done and edited. Basically, I hand them off to our, our big boss, and the big boss uploads them, and you get them before everybody else. Uh, if that's something that seems interesting to you, $3 a month gets you that. We would appreciate it. It helps us continue to do things like this, which we love doing, and we hope that you enjoy as well. Uh, but with that, I've already done my, my shilling for the day. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. 